Internet Brand Strategist Sandra Beck interviews top business coaches, speakers, authors, and thought leaders to bring you the best business tips, tricks, and techniques to give your idea the best possible chance for success. From writing your first novel to telecommuting from home to taking your small business to infinity and beyond. Now here's your host, Sandra Beck. Hey, everybody, this is Sandra Beck, and I am so excited today because I'm talking to my good friend and the one of the women I respect most in the literary industry, uh, Gina Panettieri, and she is from Talcott Notch Literary Agency, and it's an award-winning literary agency. It's a boutique small agency, which I really love, and I know most of the people that work in this agency, and they are good people. They are knowledgeable people, and I bring you Gina today because 16 years of doing interviews, I have kind of a little stable of people I trust, and when we come on NaNoWriMo in November, Everybody gets all excited about writing and they can't wait to send these manuscripts off to, you know, agents and get signed and, you know, go on their dreams. And what I found in working with this literary agency myself is they are careful, they are thoughtful, they are knowledgeable and they are respectful. And that I don't find a lot in the literary community just like human behavior, it runs the gamut. Now, before you guys start flooding this agency with your manuscripts, I'm going to talk to Gina today about how to not only get a literary agent, but also how to develop that relationship with that person, because publishing is a business. Yes, it's an art form, but at the end of the day, if your book doesn't sell, if your book doesn't make money, everybody loses. And so Gina, welcome to the show. Thanks, Sandra. It's really nice to be back. I always, I always enjoy talking with you. Um, yeah, let's get started. What is, what's your first, where do you want to begin this? I wanted to open with my own experience with your literary agency. And I, I met you actually funny enough. I met you like 20 years ago through on a different project. Then I went back to, was it writer's digest? I, I took a course um, from your, from Writer's Digest, but it was executed by your group. And um, I was eating it up. And this is somebody who has a master's in business. I have an undergraduate in journalism. I've written, I don't know how many ghostwritten books for clients in the publishing industry. But I also knew that this was a different genre for me. This wasn't a business book. And so I took, I think it was like a first 10 pages course. And I just ate it all up and you guys were so great and you gave me great helpful feedback and it was hard for me as a 50 year old woman to take direction I'm usually giving the direction in my company so I will admit that was a little hard for me going like oh this is foreign I don't know if I like this but it was good and one of the things when I sent you my full manuscript and you you critiqued it beautifully you showed me what I needed to learn and I took that as not a criticism, not a, um, you don't know what you're talking about. This is my story, blah, 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 blah. It was more like, wow, I really don't understand plot. I really don't understand the hero's journey. I really don't understand even some of the industry terms you used. I didn't understand. And I'm like, you know what, before I come back to this lady with something to use her time to look at my work, 
I need to be respectful of the craft and actually learn more about the craft. And that's how I took it from you. But I know a lot of people feel differently when they get a quote rejection letter. Yes, absolutely. Um, now we're an editorial agency, all of us here. Uh, we have a tendency to give a lot of feedback and not necessarily because we wanna see the manuscript back. Sometimes we're rejecting it and it's not gonna work for us because it's really not in our wheelhouse. But if we, we see something that we can tell you that will be helpful, we like to, we, we like to give you that. You, know, you should get something from the experience. Um, not all agencies do that. Sometimes agencies just use a, a form letter you know, it's not going to work for us and, and you know, goodbye. Um, but we do get a range of reactions to the feedback that we give people. Um, we do have that experience where some people are very experienced at something. They've had a lot of success. Maybe they have written 14 nonfiction books and some of them might've been very well-received bestsellers. And now they're writing a novel and they, you know, the novel's set in that world they're experienced in. So maybe there's a little more of a sense of ownership of the material or whatever. Um, and sometimes I do get that reaction, like, well, I know what I'm talking about, so I'm not gonna take your feedback. I'm like, well, that's your choice. Um, we're giving feedback to try to give you a better chance of success in this, in fiction. So, um, you know, but sometimes, yes, a lot of the times actually people come back and they're like, no one has been telling me why they're rejecting me. Thank you. Oh my gosh. Yes. It's, so, it's so useless for me to get these form letters saying, no, thank you very much, but it's not working for us. And for us, for anyone, me, anyone to take the time to say, okay, it's not going to work and here's why. And, and, you know, and usually they're very common errors. They're very common early writer errors. Um, and we're all born new to this. It's a craft and we develop it over time. So, you know, those people who are finally getting that feedback, it's like getting a drink of water after you've been super thirsty. You're like, thank you. I, I finally know what I'm doing wrong. So, you know, we give that in that, in that vein, that's our, that's our goal here is to simply help you um, to understand what you're doing, what you're doing wrong. And our advice may not necessarily be the advice someone else will give you. It's based on our experience with editors, what feedback we're getting, what we've learned over the course of, of the decades that we've been doing this. When you do take advice, if you get conflicting advice, you have to ask yourself what feels organically right for me, for this story, for these characters. Gina, I'm just going to jump in right now because as we're talking about characters, now is a really good time to thank our sponsor because Best Fiends has the best characters. Like, you will love these little guys. And, you know, right now we're just after Halloween, so they have this whole trick-or-treat theme going on and you can complete 15 challenges to get a pump win, like a pumpkin win. It's so much fun, you guys. It makes me giggle. The music is great. The characters are cute. And if you've listened to this show for a while, you know that I just love Best Fiends. They're my little buddies. They go wherever I go. And if I have to wait in line, if I have to sit around for something, I can just open my purse or pull it out of my pocket and I can play through an actual storyline. There's good guys and they're bad guys. And the bad guys are the slugs and you get to beat them up and that's really fun. And it's not the same like plain old smashing candy routine different shapes different blah 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 like we've all been there and done that so I want you guys to check out this game because it is action-packed it is super clever they have Halloween costumes on you have to just like just look at it it's so much fun I guarantee you you'll never be bored it's a brain boosting puzzle game all rolled into one and new content is added all the time I want you guys to go and check it out because it is the greatest little
little brain break, you guys. If you're just frustrated, if you're tired, you're trapped in your car and you can't go anywhere because you're having to wait in line, you can just pull out your phone and as long as you're obviously parked safely, you know what I mean? We don't want to play it while we're driving. But we can play these things when we're stuck in places and it's really, really fun, you guys. So I want you to download Best Fiends free today on the App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. And when we talk about characters and creating characters that, that people love, you will love these little guys. They're so cute. And um, the music is good. Just do it. Just download Best Fiends free today on the App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Now we're talking to Gina Panettiere. She is the owner and the head editor, agent, woman extraordinaire at Talcott Notch Literary Agency. You know, as we are in NaNoWriMo month, where people are searching all over for all sorts of great information, she's a great lady to talk about. And Gina, you get a lot of submissions where people are creating different worlds, you know, like we have in, in Best Fiends. We have these, these little worlds that we go into. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. There are others where I don't, yeah, I don't understand the character. Maybe they're coming from a world that I'm really just not um, able to access that well. I don't really understand them. So in that case, you know, there may be someone else who can give you that, that advice that understands that world. So you have to think, listen, don't necessarily react right away and say, okay, I'm immediately going to rush off and do what this person tells me to do. Make sure it feels right for your character and for their world and for the story that you're seeking to tell. I guess, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Like, you know, using my, my, you know, manuscript as a, as a, you know, an example, you know, you asked me like, you know, well, what kind of story is this? Is this a romantic comedy? Is this like a mystery drama? And I was like, well, I don't know, you know, <laughs> because I didn't know. And then, you know, you talked about like the meat cute and you started using languages like R and R. And I realized there's a whole language to the publishing editorial industry. And these were things that I actually had to go and Google or come back and ask you or ask Paula, like, I don't understand what this means. And when I asked Paula, I was interviewing Paula Munye. She's a best-selling USA Today author, also a, um, also a, a, a editor at your, or what do you, what is, what is she at your company? She's been in, well, she's, she's an agent here. She's also our content supervisor. Um, she's been an editor. She's been, she's been an acquisitions director for a substantial publishing house. She's worked at you know any number of, of top houses. So she's got the whole 360 going on, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So Paula Munier, check her book out, Borrowing of Bones. You can find it anywhere books are sold. Um, and it's really good. She also has these writing guides, um, like writing with quiet hands, the writer's guide to new beginnings. There's a couple of them. So look her up, M-U-N-I-E-R, Paula Munier. Um, but when I asked her just like during the commercial break on one of the things we were doing together, I'm like, hey, what does this mean? Hey, does, what does this mean? And she said to me, you know, if you want to learn plot, look at my plot book, which I did. I bought it. But also she said, take a screenplay class. And of course, over... COVID, I had, you know, gobs of time and I wasn't writing because I was going through my cancer treatments, but I could watch and learn. So I'm sitting in there like watching my, you know, Wondrium, you know, screenwriting class. I'm like, oh, that's what they meant. I took a whole class in the hero's journey because again, I didn't know I had heard these things, but being familiar and hearing these terms is very different than kind of eating them, digesting them and having them fly out your fingers. And you know, the publishing community in the same with, with publishing podcasts, it's a marathon, not a sprint. 
Like you can't just throw stuff out there and expect it to grow. It's taken me 16 years to build the podcast community that receives my shows. I didn't hit a home run off the block first try. So where does our expectation of an author going, I finished my first book, now it's a bestseller. Okay. That, that can happen. People can be a debut bestseller. Chances are that debut is not the first book they wrote. It's right. the first book they sold. There might be a half a dozen under the bed in a trunk, you know, that we don't know about. Um, because best-selling authors are not born. They don't hatch out of an egg. There's a long process in them learning not only craft, but they have to learn their market. They need to know who their readers are, what, what, it, what excites their readers that for their specific type of work. And when you said, when I asked you, like, what type of book is it? And you're like, I don't know. I get that a lot. I actually have a lot of people. I come back and I say, well, where do you see this sitting on the shelf? Is this, um, is this a romantic suspense? Or is it going to be a rom-com? Or is it just going to be a straightforward mystery? Or... And a lot of people just give me a blank stare and they're like, I never thought about it. And I, I didn't really, I'm pantsing this. I'm just going with it and I'm right. And I'm like, well, a lot of people can be successful pantsers, but at the same time, that doesn't mean that you're going to satisfy the needs of a specific market's readership. Um, so learn your market, learn, you know, go out, figure out, figure out before you work any, go any farther before you sit down to do NaNoWriMo and you're going to whip through that book in 30 days, you know, you're going to get that 50,000 words. Know what you're writing. You know what you're writing. It doesn't necessarily mean you need to know the entire plot. You may be a pantser. You may be, you may be somebody who just like waits for the characters to speak to you to figure out what they're going to do. Um, but, you know, it's a process. You need to learn before you, you do this. Um, maybe you're inspired. You want to sit down and, and, and dash off. You've got a scene in your head. Great. Do it. Do it. Do it. Um, but do continue to educate yourself, not just one, uh, one class, not just one book on craft, not just one workshop, like try to work this in as a constant thing that you're constantly educating yourself. You're constantly learning something new. You're challenging your abilities. You're only going to grow as a writer. If you're constantly challenging what you perceive your limitations, like you're going to find out you don't know everything. You may, you may walk into it thinking, I know everything about, you know, you're going to find out you don't. I, I find out stuff. I'm, I'm, te- I'm learning stuff every day. I've been doing this since, you know, like the dinosaurs roam the world. So, you know, it's, it's exciting though, too, because all of a sudden while you're, you're taking that course, reading that book, you know, doing that online, whatever, it's like, yes, that's why it wasn't working. When you get to that point in the book and you're like, crap, I don't know where I'm going to go with this. You know, you're like, now I know why. Now it's, it's falling into place. Why I got writer's block. Why I hit that wall and I couldn't get any further. So, you know, that's that's what you have to understand. And that first book you publish, it may not be a bestseller. Very few are. Very, very few are. Most books get out there and it's the debut, you know, author attempt. And we're kind of, we're getting a little traction. We're getting, we're learning where we're at. You're getting feedback. You're going to read those comments. You're going to read those reviews. They're going to tell you what you're doing wrong. And then, well, there's some that you can just throw out, you know, because <laughs> there are just some people who are just going to say nasty things to say nasty things. And you can just forget those. But sometimes they point things out. And I've had authors come to me and go like, holy crap. I didn't realize that I used this word in every page of the book and I have to get rid of that. Or, right. you know, or, you know, I, I didn't realize that I wasn't emphasizing this and they didn't see that ending coming in it. So it didn't feel believable because they really, they couldn't go back and see where it was built, you know? So you're going to be good at learning things. So understand this first book, it's just like, 
your first job. You know, you're not going to start out as CEO of the company. You know, you're going to start out in the mailroom or you're going to start out in, the, in you know, the clerical pool or you're going to start wherever, you know, and then you build your, your way as you learn and you develop your skills. So none of us are, you know, born at the top of the heap. And those people who you think were, weren't. Oh, <laughs> absolutely. Lot, well, when I do on. interviews with people, you know, when I do interviews with authors, I've done probably 500 author interviews in my career, mm-hmm. maybe more. I don't know. I never mm-hmm. actually went back and, and, and counted, but I know I do at least 50 a year, like, you know, between all four shows. And um, when I start digging around with them, I find like, oh yeah, you know, they've been like, how long were you writing before you got published? Oh, three years, five years, 10 years, 15 years. Well, I'm self-published, you know, five books. And now my first book is, you know, mainstream publishing. Like when you ask that question, I don't think in my career I have ever gotten a one and done. Like this is my first book and I'm so mm-hmm. excited. And mm-hmm. the other thing too, Gina, that I think is really important. And this was something that when I look at the books that I wrote for a large romantic publishing house um, out of Toronto in my twenties is my books were so, well, they for, were formulaic because the, the product was formulaic, but mm-hmm. They were so devoid of life. They were not, when I look at what I've written today, Mm -hmm. because I've been through a divorce, I've been through cancer, I've had children, I've had Mm -hmm. my mother die. Like, it's very hard for somebody to write a book about feelings, you know, and character driven if you've never experienced these things. And I think there is a certain, and I'm not dogging, you know, the 20 something writers. I look at my 20 something writer self. I did a good job for a 20 something. Mm -hmm. But when you look at life experience and weaving it into some books, like it's really hard to make that stuff up and be authentic. Yes, no, it is, it is. And, you know, not not to knock on genre fiction, a lot of it is a great starting place um, for, for learning craft, for learning how to build a plot and how to build structure and, and, and pacing and things like that. So there, there can, and some of them are actually, especially now, I think they're getting better and better Yes, all the time, because I think the, I think the envelope, the border between genre fiction and literary fiction, you know, now, now there's more of a blur, there's more of a, a, a blending and you can often have, you know, something much more serious but I know exactly what you're talking about it didn't challenge you as much as a writer because there were expectations the expectations in that were very simple um you know even down to we know they needed to be they need to meet by a certain page you know it was really formulaic and it was kind of like writing a business book but just for romance Mm -hmm. but you notice like a lot of people grow out of genre into mainstream I mean there's a there's an evolution I mean some people stay can stay genre and it's a great living I mean some people make a terrific living um, writing, writing genre, they know the expectations of that reader, um, and they're able to deliver on it. But then a lot of them, as you get a little older, you were in your twenties, you said, as you get a little older, you yourself sort of want to challenge yourself to write bigger books and write about what you've been living, write about what you've been experiencing and what you're seeing in the world around you. And you see like a lot of the times right now, the best-selling authors in mystery and romantic suspense and and mainstream women's fiction were born out of those category houses yes um you know that they started but you know what we also had editors then who really spent time mentoring us too they 
taught us. They, they were they were teachers. And, you know, we often got a lot of feedback and they, they kind of took us in hand and taught us what, um, you know, what we needed to do. How do we how do we build romantic tension? How do we build suspense? How do we, you know, um, and they they gave us hints and we learned from them, you know, so I think I think there's a little less mentoring going on today. I think Very that editors so. are busier. Um, I think that they don't have the staff, the size of the staff that they used to have when, you know, back in the eighties and nineties and and early, um, you know, so you, you may not get that level of, of feedback. So when you're submitting to a publisher today, um, quite honestly, and I tell this to people, it sounds unfair, but the book has to be so close to perfect, um, that it's not going to take them a lot of time. I mean, it's very hard back in you and I probably started around the same time back in the, the late eighties, the nineties, I could sell a first, a debut book. Now I'm not saying it's the first book they wrote, but the first book we were selling on a proposal, a, a fiction novel. I could sell a 500 page fiction novel on 35 pages in an outline because the voice was there and they saw that they knew what they were doing. That is almost impossible today. It is almost impossible. Um, you, I would say almost invariably now you need to have a complete and polished manuscript to even be welcome to submit to a publisher. I mean, unless you're out there winning all kinds of awards for your short fiction and, you know, you're, you know, they, they already had, you know, put a crown on your head at the NFA. <laughs> right. Um, well, yeah, there's a difference when they come to you versus you coming to them. Big difference. Yes. Yes. Yeah. We work with manuscripts. I would say when it comes to agencies, you know, when you're submitting to an agency as opposed to where we're taking it forward from our, our perspective, we would still want the book to be that 90 to 95%, you know, ready. So, you know, don't think, please, please. I, I get first drafts and I'm like, why did you send me your first draft? Why did you send anyone a first draft? You, that should be for your critique group and your beta readers. Um, so, there are people who do make this mistake. And I think they're excited after NaNoWriMo. They get really worked up. They're like, yes, I finished that book. And I wanna, I'm going to go get it out there. And they send me something that they just finished in NaNoWriMo. That's when you finish that book at the end of those 30 days, you have a first draft. That is not something you should be sending out maybe. to anybody. Maybe. You know? A first maybe. draft. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Maybe you have, uh, you know, maybe you have something you still need to work on a lot. Um, but, but whatever you have at that point, is not ready to send out. Okay, so so you know December first, don't be hitting the send button and sending it to people. Sit down. What I tell people to do is take that first draft, put it away, let it cool, let the smoke you know cool down. Come back to it after you haven't looked at it for two weeks or a month, um, because you can look at it with new eyes. If you look at it the minute you just finished it, it's really really hard to see what you're, you're missing. You because you you. It's almost like there's that book that you wrote and there's also this enhancement in your head. It's like you put a filter on your book and you're seeing this, this book through, through rose colored lenses. Let it cool down, put it aside, come back. I like to when people come back to books and they're like, I was looking at it like I hadn't even wrote it and written it myself. Like I yes. had, like I wrote, you know, I, I wrote it, I put it aside, I come back and wow. I mean, like I'm seeing where, where all of a sudden there's a lag in the piece. I'm seeing where the dialogue doesn't feel realistic. I'm seeing where oh my gosh, that's a subplot to nowhere that I wrote in there. It has absolutely nothing to do with anything. Um, so do that, put it aside, wait, wait till it's, it's, your, it's new to you again and come back and then look at rewriting. Give it to your beta readers. You want to give it to your beta readers and, come, and have them come back in two weeks or a month when, you know, when, when you're ready for new feedback, you could do that. Um, but please really, really, really hold back on that in, impulse to like start firing it out there 
Um, and I know that there are people who are coming from the self-published world. I know a lot of people who literally are putting, throwing things up that are first draft. And sometimes they're throwing them up to get feedback. And that's a big oh, mistake. Sure. Um, right, because it ruins, you know, you have one chance at a relationship yes. with your reader. It does. It does. You don't want to show the world. You want to show a limited number of people. If you want to have like a closed private page where people can access your stuff, it's just your own special little group. That's fine. But don't throw it up there so that a whole world is, you know, giving you feedback and saying like, well, I, that's where your dirty laundry is. You know, that you want to give everybody that that best first look if, if it's going to be someone that's going to get an impression of you as a writer, like either, cause when they look at this work, they're going to say, this is someone I want to follow. Wow. I'm impressed or I couldn't bother with that anymore. <laughs> you know, <laughs> either thing can happen. Um, so, so, so put things aside, work on them. Um, you know, get that feedback, get that, you know, sometimes it takes three, four or five drafts before something is really ready. Uh, for for you to send out to someone who's going to be making a professional decision on it. This right. is not something I get letters, Sandra. I get letters on cover letters on manuscripts where people are telling me it's a first draft and they want me to tell them how to fix their first draft. What, do you work for free? Like you know, <laughs> like that's just crazy. Don't get sold. <laughs> that's true. Um, you know. So, but I'm like, I I'm I'm not. I that's not my job. I mean, I do get feedback, but my, my job is not to pull you through multiple drafts or, or people who write to an agent with a concept and they're like, think of the concept. I'm like, is this done? No, I was just thinking about writing this book. This is well, <laughs> that's like, like you know, like in me. radio terms, that's the people who call me up and tell me they're writing this book. And, you yeah. know, it's a, usually a business book. And I say, mm-hmm. okay, well, when it's done, you know, yeah. and published, send mm-hmm. me a copy, I'll review it. And, yeah. you know, then we'll make the decision. They're like, well, you don't want to interview me now. I'm like, no, because you don't <laughs> have anything. And right. then the other thing that, and I think maybe it's because I've gotten older in the beginning, I was really afraid to tell authors like, this is not okay. But mm-hmm. now old, you know, like as I'm older, I will, and I usually will sometimes even say, could you give me a phone number? I'd like to call you about your book. And, mm-hmm. and I'm always prefaced with the same thing. Look, I appreciate yeah. you sending me. I appreciate you writing it. I said, but I cannot put this in front of my audience. There are grammar errors. There are punctuation errors. You know, mm-hmm. the formatting, you know, especially in self-publishing, you know, they're so excited. They got it, you know, published and, you know, they're mm-hmm. on the cover and it's just this random stream of consciousness that's not edited. And I mean, we've yeah. got Grammarly, we've got Scrivener, we've got, I mean, mm-hmm. any number of great, electronic means to clean up your work even if you don't want to clean it up and there's great books out there like um Kathy Ivy Kathy I she's got like got a book that is one of my bibles it's like 101 mistakes like it's like the most popular grammar punctuation mistakes proofreading sequence Mm -hmm. like you know and I'm like before I proofread anything even though Mm -hmm. I proofread for years for other people I look at that and I get a primer. And if I can't remember the grammar error, grammar rule, I'll look it up, you know, strunk and white, you name it. All of these things are out here for a reason. Your story is not so great that it can supersede bad grammar, bad punctuation. Like there is no story that great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You should definitely uh, make sure that your work is edited. And people ask me all the time, should I hire a professional editor? 
Um, not necessarily, maybe, you know, you might not have th those resources. You may not have the money to do that. And not everybody does. And a good professional editor is pretty costly. But at the very least, do use those tools. I mean, use Grammarly, you know, and, and make sure that you've corrected all of these I mean, even, even the, the, the most educated person in the world, I get lots of work in from people with master's degrees, but you know, we all have those old bad habits, you know, and, and, or the things that we always get wrong, even though we really know what we're doing, but just, it just makes a bad impression. So do spend the time, even you can get a free edition of Grammarly. You don't even have to buy the subscription. Put it on there, make sure you listen. Now, you, and you're not always going to take every bit of advice that it takes where it tries to correct you when this is, a, this is a stylistic element of your book. Maybe that sentence fragment is a stylistic element, or maybe sure. you're misspelling it because you know, it's, you're really using slang or whatever. Um, but, you know, but at least make sure that you're, you're formatting it correctly. I get in manuscripts all the time that are incorrectly formatted and I can't, I can't read it then. I mean, it might be the best book in the world, but I, I can't read it because it's not formatted. Oh, for, and for heaven's sakes, I know this is really hard, make sure that you're not sending something to an agent or an editor where the track changes, comments and everything are going to pop up. Okay. So we get that all the time. And, you know, I have, uh, you know, editors, sometimes I've had the you know, editors. It was really a fascinating conversation going on between them and their beta readers in the comment boxes, but we don't want the editor to see that. So make sure that you've accepted all the changes and you're, you know, telling it to ignore, you know, spelling or whatever, where it puts a little squiggly on, so that you're sending out something that no one is going to see all the track changes. They're not going to see where you deleted and changed. You want clean copy and that's it. Um, so, and if you have to ask somebody how to do that, don't do it. Ask, you know, ask somebody who's a little bit more, you know, because I have YouTube. a lot of people who but, write, you know, they tell me, I don't know how to use the program. Right. Yeah. All this Absolutely. stuff is on YouTube. That's the other thing is go to YouTube. If you're using Scrivener, if you're using Microsoft Word, if you're using, you know, what's the other one? There's the third one that people use for scripts all the time, but whatever it is. And, and you can go to Udemy and there's tons of classes on there for $9 where you can yeah. learn all the features of Scrivener, all the, you know, features of a final draft or final, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, yeah. those things like it's out there. So if you're not doing that, I think it sends a message to me when I get books in the mail for somebody wanting to be on my shows yeah. that haven't taken the time. It to mm -hmm. me shows you haven't taken your work seriously. Like, yeah, yes, yes. Because there's enough out there. And, you know, and this brings me to the YouTube generation of, and I do watch a lot of these at night. I'm a bathtub watcher and I'm a bathtub reader. And if I don't mm -hmm. feel like reading a book, I bring my iPad in, I set it on the counter and then I watch, you know, some author talking about something. And mm -hmm. I think it's really important that we're discerning, mm -hmm. Gina, because I look at some of these young um, writers out there and they've written, they're like, I've written 20 books and I've written 15 books and I've done this and I've done that, but you're not mm -hmm. on the bookshelves. So yeah. that doesn't mean you're not a good writer because maybe you didn't right. pursue that, but I'm very mm -hmm. discerning of the advice they're giving. And I like to, yes. like, I go back to Paula's books or I have got a, you know, I've got a library shelf of wonderful, mm -hmm. well-respected, you know, plot, story, structure, dialogue, you know, there's legitimate companies that put these out there. In journalism school, I learned a fact. If your mother says she loves you, check it out. Okay. 
So if you listen to something on a YouTube video and mm-hmm. it rings like, hmm, maybe that, or that doesn't sound right. Or that, you know, am I sure if, if it's something yeah. you're going to hang your career on, yeah, check it out because there Absolutely. is a lot of bad advice out there. There's a, there's a lot of bad advice. Um, you know, I, I'm on social media. I see people giving advice, um, you know, and they're telling people, they're telling authors, they're telling new authors that, that are too innocent to, to know any better. Oh no, it's fine to query multiple agents in the same agency. Oh, it's fine. You know, or you don't have to worry. You, you based your book on real people, but as long as you say that, you know, put that little, uh, you know, caveat at the beginning that, well, this is a work of fiction. If you've literally based them on real people and they're identifiable, you're still not legally protected. Um, you know, so, so, a lot of the times they just, they don't know any better because they've never had themselves, uh, you know, they've never had a professional editor. They've never, their books have never been through a legal review. Their books, you know, all these things. Yes. so don't take advice from people who honestly aren't in a position to give it to you. And I know some great self-published authors. I work with some who are hybrid authors and, yeah. you know, maybe they started out working in traditional and they developed such a huge following that they're like, oh, okay. Um, you know, they were able to then take the rest of that series, uh, you know, self-public, but those people had been for 10 years or 15 years working with traditional publishers before they went out and, uh, you know, start just followed off on on what that they've gotten launched on. So, um, you know, make sure that you look at the credentials of the person who's giving you this advice and that, you know, that may have worked for them, whatever, whatever advice they're giving you them, or maybe they just haven't seen the, the, uh, well, uh, and check out their books. Like, <laughs> this is the other thing. Check out their books. Like, mm-hmm. you know, that was one of these, this girl that I really liked her videos. And I was like, oh, she's adorable. She's funny. She's entertaining. She gives me everything I need to know in like 11 minutes, which is, you know, you know, kind of good for like sound bites at yeah. night. But mm-hmm. then I'm like, you know, I'm like, you know what? I'm not a fan of her genre. Oh. She wrote science fiction, mm-hmm. but I'm mm-hmm. like, I'd like to see one of these books that she's written that she's written 20 series whatever of so I picked the most recent one because I didn't want the first one you know I wanted to see where she'd come and I'm like oh my god like this is this is awful like it is just you know it's like gravity's rainbow which I took in college you know Thomas Mm -hmm. Pynchon's novel that Mm -hmm. just was such stream of consciousness and I'm like I couldn't get into the character. I could, I didn't need to read 20 books to get to this point. There was no story. There was no character arc. There was, there was no relationship I had. It was just all this fantasy world. And it was like a painter that was just painting, painting, painting. And I'm like, and the plot is, you know, so I think a lot of times the, just because you write volume doesn't mean mm-hmm. you're good at it. Like there's people out there that podcast every day, Gina, mm-hmm. I've been doing this 16 years. I do professional mm-hmm. interviews. I cannot podcast every day. Like yeah. I don't have enough to say, and I don't have the bandwidth to pull in good, mm-hmm. you know, legitimate sources. Right. 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 So exactly. it's going to look not about volume. It's not no. about volume. It's, it's about quality. It should always be about you know, and, and I see that too. I see, I see folks and, you know, they have time. So they, they sit down and they write very, very quickly. Um, so they're, they're pumping out a book, you know, a month or a book every two weeks or, or whatever. Um, and they feel like, well, I've got a lot of 
I've got a lot of volume. I've got a lot of different titles on uh, KDP or whatever, and I'm getting some sales from each of them. So they're, they're happy with that, but that doesn't, and that's fine. I mean, if that's, if that's their bag, that's cool. You know, that's, that's, but if they are giving you advice and your dream is to become a respected traditional author or, or, or even just to grow your career into something where you're, you're receiving a lot of critical acclaim, you know, take advice from the right person. You know, listen, even if you want to be self-published and you, you want to be successful, look at the people who really, really learned how to do it, who took the time, they learned their marketing, you know, they, they learned, they did teach themselves editing or they have an editor. I don't know how many uh, really super successful self-pub authors I know I have a relationship with who have a professional editor. Everything they write goes to that editor sure. and they do go through a developmental edit and a copy edit as if they were with a publishing house. And a lot of those editors they're hiring were editors at publishing houses. Yeah. And believe me, that costs money. Um, so, you know, that's, but that's what they're doing in order to really make what they're doing a career. This is a career and, you know, they're, they're growing. And I, I'm, I'm, you know, that you can find some very good work, but see what's going on behind the scenes. You know, they're, they're, they are editing their work and they have professional cover designers and they have people who, you know, do marketing for them. And they know, you know, they, they work with teams of professionals and for goodness sake, it's almost exactly the same as if they were a one man publishing house, you know, all of the different elements that they're bringing in. Um, so, you know, so that's, that's what you have to do to be successful. But, you know, when, when people come to me as an agent and they tell me, that they've, that they are published. They say, I'm a published author and I have six books or whatever. And my assistant, the first thing she does is she sees where those books were published. So were they published at a traditional publishing house or were they self-published? If you're coming to an agent, I think you should tell them, well, if I have, I have published six books rather than I'm a published author. There's a difference. I mean, and it's, and it, I'm, well, and and let's I'm talk about really... degrees of publishing houses mm -hmm. because yeah. like, you know, one, one big ghost book that I worked at was Simon and Schuster. I did another big job at, at Atria books. Like if I say Atria books or Simon and Schuster, you're going to know who that company is. But mm -hmm. when you, you know, I've, I've watched the industry morph and there's like these little baby publishing houses that aren't really publishing houses. They're just, yeah. they're just some mom and pop shop that puts up a website, puts yes. up a thing and they're yes. paid for hire yes. publishing houses. So one of the things that I had to do as a radio host, cause I got fooled a few times is now I not only look at the publishing, who the publisher is, yes. I yes. look it up online. I look and see what other books they've published yes. because mm -hmm. there's a lot of good, like I get it. It's good business, but they're kind of like fakers. Like you're not Simon and Schuster, but yeah. you designed your, everything to look like a Simon and Schuster imprint. And there right. is to me, like, cause that's a trust thing. When I get something from Simon Schuster, Atria books or Tarsha Perigee or whatever like that, I know it's been hammered. I know it's mm -hmm. been through a legal department. I know it's been through an editor. I'm going to get at least a certain level of quality. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I think new authors get confused by are not even necessarily the vanity publishers, but the mills, the book mills. And these are, these are publishing houses that may have a tremendous number of books on their website. Here's our catalog. And, but they have a, they don't 
really have any standards for what they right. they accept. And they're not really going to put you through a true editor edit, editorial process. They're just looking to churn books to see if they can make something on each one. For yes. them, it is. I remember, remember I just said a little while ago, it's not about volume. For them, it's about volume. Yep. So if they have a thousand books in their catalog and they sell 10 copies of each, then they're, you know, then they have 10,000. It's, you can usually tell, here's a clue for the new writers. You can usually tell a mill by going to their website and the website, if the website is directed at writers, if the homepage is all about trying to convince writers that you want to publish with this publishing house, it's a mill. Okay. Yep. If it's, if the front page is all about their books and they're, and they're aiming it at booksellers and librarians and reviewers okay you know then that's a that's a real traditional publishing house but yes. if they're all about you know if they have testimonials on their website about from from authors about how they helped them publish their book then they're I don't care if they pay royalties they may say we're a royalty paying publisher maybe they pay royalties that sound higher than usually what you hear your friends getting from traditional like the big houses um you know it's, it's still a mill and you're not going to get anywhere because they honestly don't have a relationship with a distributor. They're not getting picked up in bookstores. They're not getting you out for legitimate reviews from respected sources. Okay. They're just out there to try to turn the books and get a, get as many out as possible, hoping that they're going to make a little bit on everyone. And, and, and it's just not legit. Or you have a time or you have a well-meaning little startup that honestly, they truly do want to be a publishing house, but honestly, no one there has any background. You know, they don't know what they're doing. They just and thought they it would be nice no to be a publisher. They have no right. connections. And that's- And they the don't know thing. what they're doing. Right. There's a million of them. They pop up every day because now, especially with the ease of digital publishing, anybody can, can say, I'm a publisher, you know, from, I'm, I'm going to run this publishing house. I mean, and God bless Sourcebooks because they did get started with a very tight, I mean, she did, you know, she powered her way through, but my gosh, that woman is brilliant. And, and, you know, now 20 years later, they're, they're one of the biggest independent publishers anywhere. So yes, sometimes you can have somebody who's going to be like, I'm going to, one person, I'm going to start this publishing house. Um, but at the same time, you got to be careful um, by, you know, those well-meaning mom and pops who honestly are never going to get your book picked up anywhere. They don't know what they're doing. They can't edit. They don't know what they're doing. Right. So look at the background. Look at the background. Did, did somebody from who used to be an, an executive at Simon & Schuster, he goes off and she goes off and they decide that they're going to start their own imprint. You got something going on there. Right. Um, but if it's two people who are like, well, I was in real estate and, you know, my, my husband here, he was a banker and we're going to be publishing a house now because we think this would be really cool. That's, that's not a plan for you because it's just, they're, they're not going to have the connections to get you where you need to be, you know? So, so right. do like, do, do what Sandra said, check out their website, check out their books, check out, you know, like what, where do they say that they have, foreign rights, you know, representation in 62 countries, probably not. Um, but you want that, even if you're with a small publisher, there are a lot of very fine, small publishing houses. They're, they're, you know, they're, you know, respected. They've been around forever. They get reviewed like bananas, even if they only put out six books a year, that's different. That's a different thing. You can be a small publisher and be a great vehicle for an author. Um, but you can be a small publisher and you can be a road to complete career derailment if, if, you know, you can have choose carefully. So look at who you're working with. I love that. Well, Gina Panettieri, love talking with you today. I can't wait to have you back. Check her out at talcottnotch.net. And we'll be back again next week with another great episode.
Thanks, Sandra. It was nice seeing you again. Bye. On behalf of Sandra Beck, we want you to get out there today to make more money with less time and effort so you can live the life you want. Tune in next week for more tips, tricks, and techniques on Coach.